Hi everyone, I'm Holly. Welcome to my podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the pedagogical principles of teaching ELL learners. I've picked my top three and I'm excited to share them with you, so here we go. The first one I picked is knowing your learners. So getting to know where they're from, what their background is, maybe a little bit about their families, their culture, which will really help you to design the programming for them that's going to be relevant and meaningful for that learner. Uh, One thing to keep in mind as well is if you have an ELL learner who's coming to you from Uh, extreme poverty or maybe a really, really dysfunctional country where there's lots going on or war, whatever it may be, just to bear in mind to use a trauma-informed practice. So being mindful of trying to make the space as calm and welcoming and safe for them and just kind of knowing when to push them and when to take take a step back and say, hey, do you need a little break? The reason I think it's really important to get to know your kids is I think all kids and learners in general want to know that they are noticed, heard, and valued by their teacher. And if you are making the effort to get to know them and they're seeing that you're smiling and you're asking questions and you are interested in them, I think that that will really help them to feel like they want to make an effort for you as well. And I think that that would really enhance their school experience. I mean, relationships are so important in school as it is, but I think especially for ELL learners, they want to know that they're being valued as well. And I think that the more you get to know them and understand kind of where they're coming from, it gives you more of an opportunity to make sure that you are being authentic and effective for that student. So thinking about how how does that look in real life, in the real world classroom, I think a lot of it could just be something simple like if you are getting a student from another country, do a little bit of research. What kinds of things do they do in that country? Are there special things about it that you can then talk to the child about just to kind of get the ball rolling and show that, hey, I'm interested in you. I'm glad you're here. I've made an effort and I think that would really stand out for them. Another thing I really love for getting to know your learners is the two by 10 strategy, which is where you choose one student and you talk to them for two minutes a day for 10 days in a row. And the student leads the conversation. They can tell you whatever they want to talk about, which I think is what makes it really special. Two minutes, you can do it off the side of your desk, you know, in the transition before recess or before lunch. And it just gives them that moment where you are locked in with them and they get to feel special because they've got you and that one-on-one time is so good and important and I think that you can really learn a lot and at first you might feel a little bit weird and they might feel a little bit weird not really knowing what to talk about but I think over time by the time you get to the 10th day you could find out so many amazing things about them and it only took you two minutes each day So I think it's a really fun, easy way to kind of start building those relationships. And you could do it with the whole class as well, ideally, in a perfect world. Um, So because I think that way it will make them see that they are part of something and not just being singled out per se, uh, which could be a little bit off-putting for them. The second principle that I want to share with you is 
designing academic content to make it more accessible for ELL learners. So basically that just means that when you are sitting down to design the programming and the content that you want them to learn and that you're going to teach them, you want to make sure that the academic content is still there and still at the standard that it should be, but making it a little bit more accessible to them. So that could mean adding extra visuals, especially in the, in the lower grades, or even if they just have no English learning so far, especially if you're starting from scratch, laying that groundwork, visuals are so valuable. And also making the language a little bit more accessible for them because most children learn what we call everyday language or conversational language first because that's the language they need just to get by in their day-to-day -day life. So if you are able to change some of the language so that it's more accessible, then they're going to be able to feel a little bit more success right off the bat and I think that that will help them to maintain their motivation. So I think the reason that this one especially is important is that I find sometimes when I'm looking for resources or when I'm looking at sort of diagnostic assessments especially, they are very language heavy, very academic, and not really accessible for a lot of learners, not even just ELL learners, but a lot of learners who might struggle with their reading and their comprehension. So. Um, if you are using those kinds of things, just bear in mind that they might need a bit of extra support or you can change and adapt it. And you could do it for the whole class so that they don't look at their test and say, well, why have I got this and that person has a different test? Because kids notice those things. And I think um, the more we can do to ease the transition from okay, now I've got all this comprehension in my head and I'm translating as I'm going, and now I'm kind of thinking about the content. They're working so hard just to understand that um, if we can take some of that stress away so that it's easier for them, then they will find more success. Uh, one thing that it makes me think of is when I was in my, uh, I think the first four years of my teaching career, I worked at a school that had a significant amount of ELL learners. And one of the things that we did was guided reading groups and guided math groups. And so as a staff, we decided that we would use one reading program, which I think at that time was the PM benchmark system. And for math though, we kind of had to come up with our own diagnostic assessment because we needed something that was more accessible for the kids. And so what we did is we took the Vancouver Island Diagnostic Math Assessment, looked at it and said, okay, what are the key things that we want the kids to know or that we want to know that they can do? And what we did is we went through, we cut out a ton of questions, and then we reformatted the test just in a word program so that Every kid who was doing, let's say, the grade one level test, they all did the same one. Very visual, very simple directions, and so it was really easy for them to access what the expectation was and do the job that they were being asked to do. And it really helped because then that way uh, we were able to split them up into grade groupings and during guided math time they would go to whatever teacher was teaching that particular grade. So I had kids from all different classes and a few of my own come to me and I was sort of the grade two math teacher and so we did all grade two math content. So I think that by doing those kinds of things it would really help to kind of make it more accessible, more fun, and certainly um, 
more successful for a lot of students. One question I do have, though, thinking about that is for older students where maybe the content is a lot more complicated, how could that look in the upper grades? I've been a primary teacher my entire career, and so that was just a question that kind of popped into my mind. So I would be interested to hear from some upper elementary or even high school teachers of how they think they might be able to use this in their context. That would be something I'd be interested in for sure. And the last principle that I've chosen to share with you today is engaging and collaborating with a community of practice, which is a fancy way of saying talk to the experts, talk to the people you have, and that way you are getting a very full rounded picture of what you could do for your learner. So teachers collaborate with other teachers or other professionals and that way you're making sure that you're getting the best support. So you're looking at programming, you're looking at the instruction delivery, and you're looking at how are we advocating for this child and for their needs. Because we all know every child is so different and you could teach 100 children and still have completely different sets of circumstances and you might not know the best way to get through to them. And so by using the team that you have in your space or in your district, that'll really, really help you to get sort of a, a clear picture of, okay, this is what I'm bringing to the table. I'm going to steal this idea from this person. I'm going to borrow this idea from over here. And now I've got a really well-rounded instructional plan for this kiddo. And I think, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel like my mind is like a leaky faucet sometimes. And I have a hard time remembering everything that I've learned over the course of goodness knows how long. And so by having those extra bodies and those extra brains all working on a common issue, it really helps you to get the different perspectives and think of things in ways that you might not have considered or have would have even thought of yourself. Um, so what would this look like in real life? I think most schools have a school-based team. So inviting your school-based team to get together and chat about how to best support the child um, one thing we have in our district is we have a district literacy person, we have a district math person, and so inviting those people in, getting their perspectives, usually they are very senior teachers, which is great. They have a lot of experience and therefore lots of really wonderful advice and insight to share, which kind of reminds me of uh, one particular occasion where I was really, really struggling to teach writing to my class, and I had... I think about half my class were ELL learners and they would just get so stuck on not being able to spell a word correctly that they just didn't, they didn't want to do it. They would get stuck and then that was it. They would give up. And I just remember I was, it was like banging my head against a brick wall. I could not find a way myself to do it. And so I reached out and I got our district literacy uh, person to come in and she just took over the entire class. She came for three lessons and she got them writing these books and they were doing title pages and they were writing and I, I just remember feeling absolutely mesmerized that she'd gotten so much work out of them and I was like I can't even get a sentence. <laughs> so it was really wonderful to be able to see a senior teacher, I think I was a third year teacher at that time, so to see her come in and see how she managed 
the students and how she encouraged them and how she got them to produce the work that she wanted. And they did it. And I just remember thinking, I am so glad that I called her. (laughs) So I think by getting in touch with the people that you have around you and at your beck and call, definitely make use of those resources. That's what they are there for. And not only did I get to learn some really wonderful stuff, my kids were feeling successful and happy. And that's really what was important. So thank you very much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you got a few little tidbits that might be helpful for you. And I wish you all a very good day. Take care. Bye.